it's not just a newspaper for reformed people. Um, you know, it has its roots in the, the Christian reformed church, but we're fully independent. Um, and we have perspectives from all different denominations. Um, and the idea that like Christ is what binds us together, uh, not denominational ties. That's, that's really key. Welcome to a one life podcast. One life as you may or may not know, is a grassroots learning collective made up of equippers serving classes B.C., Northwest, and Southeast in the Christian Reformed Church by providing events and resources centered around the five foundational callings of the church. Worship, faith formation, servant leadership, global mission, justice, and mercy. My guest today is Megan Court assistant editor for the Christian Courier, and she's been an elder and is an active, passionate member of her church in Terrace, BC. The Christian Courier is on some of the front lines of Christ-centered, creative, and Canadian content. And they've had edgy front page stories with subjects such as eating bugs, church splits, world hunger, making art from garbage, residential schools, and medical insistence in dying, just to name a few. This is an amazing conversation and chat that I had with Megan, and I hope you really enjoy it. So, as we just mentioned, my guest today is Megan Court. Uh, Megan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Eric. Good to be here. Uh, have you have you been on or I? Um, no, let me ask it this way. Um, what, what is your connection with One Life? How did you get connected with Wilma? How did you, you know all yeah. about these things? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, first time I heard about One Life, Wilma approached me at a classes meeting. I was super pregnant. Um, and she said she needed a communications person. And I was like, Wilma, clearly I'm going to be a bit busy <laughs> in the next couple of years. So I did not jump at that chance, but I've just been paying attention as I've seen things come through church you know, announcements or whatever. And I just love the direction Wilma's taking it. The idea of having resources that are put together by someone in BC for BC churches is just really um, encouraging because a lot of what comes through like official denominational channels is is coming from the US. They're coming from places that are like just quite a bit removed geographically. And so, yeah, I just love what she's doing. Um, I did the foundations course last year and that was cool. Just With like, LDN? Yeah. Uh, well, it wasn't LDN. It was just like sort of a one-off, like, hey, you can do this once a month meet up with other people who want to talk about, um, you know, some of the basic principles of what it means to be CRC. Um, it was just good. It was uplifting. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, I'm sad we we missed the chance to have you on board, but don't feel bad. We did get Sarah and Sarah is awesome. Yeah. So um yeah, but you so you've worked in communications for a long time. You apparently put together a family newspaper when you were younger. Is that true? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Wilma must have had a tip from my mom or something because my mom is very proud of that. Um it was called the Yelich Yodel. Uh <laughs> cool name even for a, yeah, a early yeah, well, on. Yeah. The, the road we grew up on. I have three brothers, and uh so we each had sections, like really critical newsworthy stuff, like latest in trail building. Um, there's like a bird watching section. I'm pretty sure I took care of the gardening category. 
When no, you say not. critical, was there like um, like op-eds, like crit critiquing the family system in there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, we didn't have any neighbors and we didn't do any extracurriculars. So it was just like the four of us in our own little universe. Um, and so, yeah, like what we were going to name the trails, that was important stuff. Um, I'd have to I'd have to dig one up to get the garbage on what we were. <laughs> that actually sounds amazing. I love that so much. And then, yeah, we would uh, leave them out in strategic places so people would come over and they'd be like, you know, we could have conversation starters. Like this is like the latest of what's going on. The latest news. Yeah. So did you follow that all throughout? Like were you part of your your high school newspaper and things like that? I went to a smaller high school, so we didn't have a newspaper. Okay. Um, I wrote for a local paper just like a couple times. Like when we did a high school play, like I'm not a singer, um, so I didn't get a role in the play, but like I, I definitely wrote the story on it. And I remember being just like totally devastated when the editor at the paper chopped like more than half of the words. I just was like, that was brilliant. Like if they couldn't see that, like, I don't know what they're missing. Uh, and now that I'm an editor, I kind of think back on that. I'm like, oh yeah, that must have been so annoying to have like a 16 year old come in and be like, I need all of these metaphors included in print. Um, so, yeah, it was good. Good practice. That's amazing. I love that so yeah. much. And that sounds like maybe that was your inspiration for becoming an editor. You're like, I need the more creative control in this uh, relationship. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't have like, um, you know, a, a career game plan with journalism as my destination. I like growing up, I loved journalism. I wanted to be a CBC radio host because I grew up listening to a ton of CBC. My dad has a garden center. So that's what I would listen to when we were planting. Um, and it's still on 24 seven at my dad's store. Um, but then yeah, through high school and university, I was more directing towards ministry. I felt like I was going to go to seminary. Um, and then it was only, yeah. in like the last couple of years of university that I started changing towards like being a professor in history. That's why I did a master's in history. Um, so really journalism had dropped off my radar. And then as I was in grad school, realizing that, okay, the dynamics in public ed or in, in higher education have changed in recent years, you know, not many history departments are hiring new staff. Um, this might not be like the trajectory that's going to be uh yeah, it's, it's not going to be what I pictured. And it would mean bouncing around all over North America, trying to find those little like postdocs, um, doing short teaching stints all over the place. Um, yeah, so I just kind of took a year of discernment, traveled in Europe uh, with my husband for part of that, spent some time working in communications. Um, and it was only when I was on maternity leave, um, that would have been almost five years ago, that I got an email from Christian Courier. I'd written maybe once or twice before that, and they were looking for someone to do a uh, fill in a sabbatical. Like Angela, the editor, was going to be away for a few weeks, and they just wanted someone. They thought I was a student, someone with some free time to fill that in. And so I really jumped at that opportunity um, and spent like the first half of my mat leave just like learning what it meant to be an editor, reading a lot of old Christian Courier copies. And then just spending like way too much time just trying to make sure those three issues that I was in charge of could be as good as they possibly could. Um, so, yeah, that's how I kind of ended up connected to Christian Courier. And that was that sabbatical coverage turned out to be like the longest job interview ever, because it was just after that that then they hired me. That is so cool. Um, and and how my, my was... long life story just jam packed into five minutes there. <laughs> yeah, you summarized that so well. Wow. And I love, but I love that. I love the full circle aspect of that. That you kind of mm -hmm. it start. It was a seed plan a long time ago, and then you did some other things and kind of came back around. 
Um, and how long ago was that, that you took this position? Yeah. So I started working for Christian Courier in 2019. 2019. Okay, yeah. sweet. And so, so my job, good. yeah, the job title has like shifted a bit since then. Um, and it's kind of just felt like sort of the like fill in the gaps person. Like we lost a news editor and it's like, all right, I'll take that on. Or like, you know, the website um, editor left. So it's like, oh, I love doing website stuff. So yeah, we're very, a very small staff and we kind of just like nimbly fill in where we need to, which is kind of fun. And you're able to work from Terrace? Yeah, that that's like the the key factor because we lived in Victoria before. Um, like when I first started working for Christian Career, I was in Victoria, um, and so it was like the summer of 2019 when we realized like we need to live somewhere more affordable, um, and very quickly, like in the matter of like two or three weeks, we decided to move up to Terrace, and it was pretty much like the day. No, it was exactly the day I quit my job in Victoria. Um, like I was on that leave from it. I quit that job over the phone. And then I got a call from Angela at Christian Courier saying, Hey, like, we really feel like we want to keep you around. We'll make a position that makes it work. So it was very clearly like, okay, God's got a lot, you know, going on here that I felt like I could, um, move to Terrace with a sense of like, um, you know, God taking care of, the career side of things. Like I wasn't really sure what kind of work I would find in Terrace with a master's in history. Like that's like pretty niche for a small town. Um, so the, those pieces coming together was amazing. Oh, I love that. I love yeah. it when it all kind of lines up and just sort of clicks. That's a really yeah, good feeling. Totally. So uh, how long have you lived in Terrace now? Or yeah, yeah so I guess around the same since, time. Yeah. Yeah. The fall of 2019. So yeah, we moved here just a few months before the pandemic. Um, and yeah, it's been like a really good move. And you grew up in Northern VBC. Have you lived in Terrace before? No. So yeah, I grew up in Smithers. Um, and so moving up here was just sort of a bit of a come back to a place that's familiar. There was a moment in Victoria where I realized I had this three month old baby and I was like, this child won't know a white Christmas. Like that does seem unjust that this <laughs> kid won't get to play in the snow all winter. So um yeah, there was lots of factors in wanting to move back, but definitely like being closer to family, like realizing how much I valued growing up in a small town, um, wanting that like tight Christian school church connection um, that I really valued in Smithers growing up and being like, yeah, Terrace has that. It's, it's going to be a good good fit. That is so cool. Wim was also wondering, apparently you you walked the Camino as well in the past. What, what was that like? Yeah. So, uh, my husband has walked the entire Camino with his dad. Um, and it was important to him that when we were doing our sort of half a year of discernment spent, we spent quite a bit of time traveling all over Europe and it was important to him that portion of that would be spent doing the Camino. Um, we did only do half of it, which wasn't really the plan. And, uh, I think there was a bunch of things about the Camino that weren't what we expected. It felt a little bit more like a walking beer crawl than we thought it would be. <laughs> Which was fun. Like, it was very fun to meet, like, a couple of uh, Australians and New Zealander and a Danish woman. Like, the six of us were, like, this little family that walked together. Um, so it was great. Uh, but we hit the middle of the Camino, which, I don't know if anyone listening has done it, it's like the desert of Spain. It's very flat. It's very dry, hot. Um, and there's a section where you just, like, walk in a straight line pretty much for a whole day. It's like, I don't even remember 17 kilometers or something of like just straight walking, which sounds on the map like that would be easy because, you know, you've already done like the Pyrenees and that 
would have been harder, but that like monotony of just the same thing. Um, and then on that day, my husband got bed bugs. Uh, I broke my glasses. Um, there were a bunch of factors, like wow. I, a bunch of our team, like our little family had kind of had physical injuries. At least two of them weren't able to walk anymore. And it just like felt like it was just falling apart. And so mm. I've often thought back to those days about like how the monotony was the hardest part of that. Um, and that I, I resonate with in like other parts of life too. Like the mountains were almost easier because there was like surprises around the corner. This sounds very BC, right? Like we like driving here because it's like, there's always a new lake or a new like view. So yeah, I don't know. We talk about it sometimes like, well, maybe we'll go back. Would we be able to handle the boringness of that middle section before we get to the Galatians, the mountains near the end? Wow. That, yeah, that sounds like that does feel like a metaphor for so many more things in life. Like. Yeah. And just can apply to so many different things. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I put that in my bio at one point. Um, just cause like, it is a bit of a failure, right. To only walk half. I'm someone who doesn't love to talk about my failures, but it felt like, oh, it's worth mentioning that like, <laughs> it didn't quite go as planned. And I think it was okay. Like there was something valuable to that. That is okay. Yeah. And that is, that is good. That is good. To, good to be real about that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, so then fast forward to University of Victoria. Um, what was that like? What was studying studying at UVic like? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, that question that Wilma wrote down. Like, what's it like studying Christian, like church history mm -hmm. at a secular university? Especially when I was there, it felt um, very brave in some ways where um, I like I was studying medieval women. So like these women were taking, or that were slightly later than medieval, 16, 1700s. These women took God and, and Jesus's incarnation seriously. Like that's, that was a fact, like that, that taking communion was life-giving, right? And all of the um, theology of salvation, um, being concerned for people's souls and like all of that was real. And so when I'm talking to professors who don't believe this stuff, they have to take me seriously when I'm like talking about the um, you know, the motivations these women would have had for following a calling into religious life. There's a, a tendency sometimes um, in modern historical scholarship to talk about, you know, what were what were the like financial things? What were the political motivations? What were the like sexual motivations? Like, you know, there's these motivations that feel more relatable for modern readers. But then to put yourself in a 17th century mindset, you have to think about like, life and death and hell and all of that is like a real motivator. Um, and like the most important part of my research was on virginity. Like how were young women perceived? Did they have any power and authority just because they were virgins? Like the way the, the Christian story sort of sees virgins as directly connected to God, getting messages like Mary getting a message from God. And then like Catholic history, having these these young women who could get visions and revelations from God. So it's just like a lot of exciting stuff, being able to have my faith be taken seriously um, in a, in a secular setting. I think that's so cool um, as well. I studied at Regent um, and we had had a, had a class on uh, Josephine Butler, a feminist um, theologian of, I think the 18th or 19th centuries. And um and what made her so fascinating to me um, as a female and a feminist was just how deeply convicted her relationship with Christ was and how she was actually doing mm -hmm. biblical scholarship. And it's almost like the feminism, um, the advancement of the 
the the placement of women came as a result of her taking scripture serious and the her faith serious and wanting to write and engage with that and almost like that in and of itself was a testament to to the the, the progress and the acceptance of women in the academy and things like that so I, anyway i just think that's fascinating because i could imagine too a uh, um, a secular professor wanting to look at it from like the first, you know, women in this role kind of perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but then to take them seriously is to take the things they were talking about seriously too. So that sounds, mm-hmm. that sounds fascinating to me. I, I could just add a, yes, please. When I was in my undergrad, I had a prof who knew that I was a Christian. Um, and anytime we had a class where she would have to start off by saying like, all right, we need to understand the medieval worldview of salvation, right? There's no way to understand a witch trial or a Spanish inquisition. Like why kill people for just like believing that the earth was made out of cheese? Like that's ridiculous. Why? So in order to understand that mindset, you have to get it that like, like there were people worried for other people's souls. So she would always say like, Megan, can you please explain salvation to the class? And so I would get this like, you know, two minute moment to like look around at all these other um, 19, 20 year olds from Northern BC and be like, okay, this is how salvation works. And it was like, not really the like um, evangelistic moment that I was told I would have, you know, as a kid growing up, like you're going to be able to share the gospel for Christ. But I thought it was just like a moment to be like, I don't know, be a Christian speaking in a non-cynical way about what faith looks like. Yeah, here's faith from my perspective. I yeah. I, th- I love that. I, I think that's yeah, cool. yeah, that's so cool. Um, Will was also wondering, do you have a fam- favorite person or period in church history? Yeah, so I I definitely uh, had to think about this one for a while. Um, I'm gonna make a group of people. I'm gonna just kind of like bend the rules here a little bit. Um, the Beguines are my favorite. Uh, they're a group of religious women who lived in the 16th century in the Low Countries. That's like what today is Belgium and the Netherlands. And these women, um, they lived by an order. So they would have been committed to some of the same things a nun would, uh, praying and charity um, and chastity. Um, But they weren't enclosed in a convent. So they were living in cities, um, mostly like teaching or like serving the poor. Um, And so like bridging that gap between like being a religious woman and then also being a woman who can interact with the world and like do really hands-on things. And so eventually those orders um, came under more strict control. Like as the church grew in power and institutional organization, um, there were some places where women had agency and had freedom to do ministry that kind of like like folded in. So eventually women who were doing work as Beguines were kind of moved into more um, convent-like settings, uh, where they could be under more male supervision. But yeah, there's just like these little bubbles in, in women's history of like, wow, amazing work being done. Um, that's, uh, you know, showing women's leadership. Um, yeah. Hundreds of years ago. Oh man, that's, that's, that is so fascinating. Well, what do you think we can learn in this present day from these stories of, uh, of women and groups of people in history? Yeah, I think the most important thing is that like, everything is um, cyclical. Like there's no like steady progress of like, things are always getting better for women in the church or things are always um, getting better with, you know, technology or whatever it it could be, you know, there's, it's easy to buy into a sort of like um, narrative of progress, but it's just like certain things get better. Um, you know, during the the Renaissance, it was like, great. There's all this new knowledge. There's the ability to print and publish things. Um, but there was also 
uh, an increase in like male patriarchal systems that were controlling that knowledge. So there's, there's always like an ebb and flow. And so I think when I'm writing a story as a journalist, I'm kind of paying attention to that. It's not like, um, you know, when I wrote articles on AI, it's not like, oh, this is like the greatest thing. Look how efficient, you know, ministry could be if we can like use the tools of AI. It's like, well, okay, there's going to be these challenges of, of, you know, people getting deceived by AI or whatever, right? There's always, and, and it's not always terrible either. So like seeing that kind of, um, that up and down and I, yeah, it gives some more interesting questions to ask as a journalist instead of just, um, you know, seeing things as always getting better. I love that. I, I love that. Mm -hmm. Or like you say, not also not only seeing things as bad too, and not just doomsday, but really seeing, having both your eyes open as it were. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really cool. Uh, Wilma has a whole list of things you've, uh, you've, you've published um, in the courier, things like eating bugs, uh, church splits, wor world hunger, making art from garbage, residential schools, medical assistance and dying. And as you mentioned, artificial intelligence, uh, that is such a, wonderful and um far-reaching sort of conversation that the Christian courier is having having which is which is awesome um where did this idea of uh of Christian journalism engaging with all of these topics come about yeah I think we have to thank our um our reformed ancestors for that like you know the idea of like every square inch belongs to God I think that's what really uh makes Christian Courier continue to flourish when a lot of other Christian publications have had to close. It's not easy to run a print publication in a digital age, but there is just this huge community. Actually, it's a small community, but it's a very loyal community of Christians who see the value in um, studying God's world uh, from a Christian perspective. And they want to hear about um, you know, hunting policy, and they want to hear about how like food and migration and all, you know, all these things that aren't, you know, typical devotional topics, but there's just, there's this, this um, worldview that we're all inheriting from these reformed ancestors who really believe that like all of this is valuable, all of this is important. And I, I love how Christian career kind of fits into the Christian schools, Christian labor union, Christian, um, um what's the other one <laughs> um I'm trying to think of the like environmental studies or things like that yeah yeah and there's the center for uh, oh justice <laughs> center for public justice <laughs> CPJ, center yep. for public justice yep. yeah all these institutions that were kind of started by these people who had this vision for like Christian life needs to be more than just Sunday and so it feels like such a cliche to even talk about it because I feel like I've just grown up yes. with that worldview and then as I've encountered folks who didn't grow up with that, um, it's like, oh, yeah, I just took this as a given that, you know, you'd see the value, that all Christians would see the value in studying the whole world from a Christian perspective. Um, but no, it's something we have to, like, continue to, like, celebrate as Reformed Christians and say, like, hey, we're doing something that's worth keeping. Like, let's let's put money into these organizations that are researching and, um, you know, shining a light on all sorts of different things in the world. It, it, Christianity is not just about devotions. That's yeah, no, that is so cool. And it also makes me think, too, that some of these spaces are contested spaces, right? Like um, mm -hmm. these these conversations feel like like there's other worldviews that are that are dominating that that don't really want Christian takes that might be alternative or pushback. Or you think of something like made uh, medical assistance of dying or, or, or things like that. Um, so that makes me curious too. What, 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 um, do you receive much pushback? Is it hard to do this kind of journalism? 
in in the world? Yeah, I'd say we are like overjoyed at how much support we get. I think there are some there are a lot of really loyal readers who will take the time to write in and say, like just in like the most encouraging, like like I mean, it's a small group of of reformed Christians, right? Like it's, we're all pretty interconnected. And so it feels like a family member. Sometimes they are a family member writing in and saying like, <laughs> you're doing good work. Like, keep it up. You know, it can't be easy. And it's not like, there's also that like, um, critical sort of Dutch strain that runs through our readers of sort of like you, when you love someone, you tell them what they can do to be better. Right. And so sometimes we get those emails too, that come off like, you know, I, there was, there was once a conversation I had with someone in a church fellowship hall, and they're like, that was the worst issue I'd ever read. And I was like, okay, can you tell me first what you liked? So there's both. I feel like the like if I focus too much on the negative, which is maybe you know a quarter of what we'd get, um, it's it's disheartening. But seeing that there are these people who feel they need to like build us up and encourage us like we were their own kids, um, that's it's uplifting for sure. That's good. I'm glad there's a healthy mix of both. And that's wise. Good to good. To, I don't know if you said that specifically. Can you start with something positive? But that would be a good, healthy um, um, way to practice. Um, yeah, in, I in didn't say context. it that time. That was during that, like when I was covering a sabbatical. So I was like so new at it. I was like so proud of what what we put together. But yeah, the it's, it's a learning experience. Um, and there's been times where, you know, we receive feedback and it's like, yeah, like great point. Let's print a correction. Let's like make an improvement on the website version. Um, the fact that people took the time to write in told us that, that, that they value what we're saying. Um, so I think my ability, my thick skin is growing, but also my ability to like appreciate the, the investment in our community, right? If people are critical, it's because they care. Uh, so right. I, yeah, I can see that now. Oh yeah. Keeping the conversation going, right? That, yeah. That's the, the, the beauty of it. You should write something. You disagree, write, write me something, you know, I, I, I have love... responded like that before. Good for, sure. for you. Yeah. yeah Cause I not, love that. It's not always easy to get writers. Like we don't pay a ton, so we have to rely on people's kind of goodwill and care for the community uh, to want to write. Uh, we pay an honorarium. Um, but yeah, if someone's like, you didn't give voice to this, I might say like, do you know a writer? Like, this is a this is a community effort. So like it'd be great if you could help us. Yeah, that's awesome. So your descriptors, uh Christ-centered, creative, and Canadian. Uh what do each of those things mean to you as one of the editors? Yeah, so that tagline came to be just a few years ago. Um and like I'll start at the end. So the like one of the questions that Christian Courier staff always ask during job interviews is like, what's the difference between Christian Courier and the banner? Um, and so like we want to know that, you know, someone who's working for Christian Courier understands that difference. And so I I've learned a lot about that actually. So Christian Courier is Canadian, um, whereas the banner covers both North America, like Canada and the US um in the Christian Reformed Church. It's important to hear perspectives that come from Canada. I think a lot of what we consume on Netflix and on, you know, social media and news is often from the US. Like it's just the way it goes when you've got like a critical population and more money creating content. And so just safeguarding the idea of a distinct Canadian identity, I think is a big part of what Christian Christian Courier does. Like we have different history in Canada, we have different political culture. I um, mean, it's worth talking about that um, and making sure we uh, even discipline ourselves to like pay attention to Canadian voices. Um, the creative side, I think, has a lot to do with the way we integrate 
um, poetry and art. Not every newspaper includes those elements, but because we're this sort of like middle ground between a newspaper and a magazine in some ways, because we're published monthly, which is more of a magazine sort of schedule. So the idea that sometimes things can be said in a poem better than they can be said in a prose essay or a, or an article. Uh, so we make space regularly for those creative expressions. Um, and then the, the Christ-centered piece, it's not just a newspaper for Reformed people. Um, you know, it has its roots in the, the Christian Reformed Church, but we're fully independent. Um, and we have perspectives from all different denominations. Um, and the idea that like Christ is what binds us together, uh, not denominational ties, that's that's really key. That's so fantastic. Actually, I was just thinking about that today because I was writing something else and um, on that topic. And um, and I remembered the words of my one of my professors at seminary, my ethics professor, who told us to to um, place our ethical um, roots not in the Reformed tradition, you know, edgy for him mm -hmm. saying this at Calvin Seminary, but in Christ, in the teachings mm -hmm. and life of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, it gives you the freedom to actually critique your own tradition. Even mm -hmm. if you love your tradition, you have the freedom. So anyway, I just think that's that's fantastic. And I didn't I didn't think of that originally when you used the word Christ-centered, but I love that you connected that to that interdenominational piece and the sharpening that happens there and the openness to even be critical of our own tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And I use those three as sort of my guidelines when I'm talking to someone about an article, right? If there's an article that covers like a really beautiful story and it's super well-written, so it covers creative and it's got the gospel message in it, but like there's no Canadian connection, it just doesn't fit for our audience. Um, so it's got to have all three to fit in Christian career. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is. So every one of your stories at least tries to uh, contain all three. That's the idea. Yep. Very cool. So what kind of stories are you personally drawn to write about? Yeah, I was looking back kind of through what I've written to see if there was any sort of patterns. I I would say uh, empathy is my one of my biggest goals as a writer. I really want marginalized or or voices that haven't been heard enough to get heard. And that can mean a lot of different things. So like I did an article, um, when was that? Like was that two years ago <laughs> when the trucker convoy happened? So that wasn't something I wanted to write. Like, I, I don't feel like giving empathy for everyone, right? Sometimes I just kind of want to be angry and annoyed. Um, but then I, I had to reflect, kind of do some self-reflection, be like, all right, so we have people in our churches who might empathize or, or, you know, feel seen in the trucker convoy. Like, what can we do to bridge between people who don't get it and people who, who value it, right? So even if personally I um, feel a particular way about an issue, I really feel like I have to push myself to see the other perspective. Um, and with my job, that means I get to, like, call someone up or email someone and be like, let's talk. Like, I want to understand where you're coming from. Um, and I kind of felt that way about the hunting article I worked on. Like, I don't understand a lot about hunting, but man, like, I really love some people who do hunt. So there must be something that I'm missing because like, I, you know, I admire people who do something I don't understand. So I think that's like a big piece of what I'm doing um, is just trying to, yeah, under understand people who have been maybe stereotyped or yeah, who haven't been given the space to be heard. I love that. I love, I love that humanizing everybody. Yeah. And humanizing I think that, is a big part of it. I think that's a very cool mission and something I totally, totally agree with. Um, Wilma's wondering, why should someone in BC take out a, uh, a subscription? Yeah, I think 
that Christian Courier for many years has been thought of as like an Ontario publication, certainly had its, you know, main roots and office there. In recent years, we now have board members who are in BC and some in Nova Scotia. So we're getting like a little more across Canada, thanks to the wonders of Zoom. And uh, we've got amazing writers in BC. So there's been intentional effort. I think when I first started uh, in 2019, there was an issue that was like the BC issue. So there was like a conscious effort to be like, let's try pay more attention to BC. And I, and my Ontario co-workers are often very conscious of like, we're writing about BC. Is this, is this good? Is this right? Like there's a sensitivity. And I think it's, um, it's noble on their part, but they don't need to be so nervous because we have more in common than what, than what uh, we sometimes think. Um, when I'm reading columns from some of the Ontario writers, like some of my favorite, um, Heidi Vandersilk is, uh, one of my favorite, um, writers, partly because I just find her stories so relatable. Um, I just, I don't know if it's because I see my mom and her or what, but like she's writing about life on a farm. Like there's tons of people in BC and Alberta and, you know, the prairies who can relate to that. It doesn't really matter that she's in Ontario. Um, so yeah, I think just like building up those cross Canada connections. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. So th that's all the questions that Wilma has prepared, which is awesome. It's been uh, it's been so cool to talk to you, get to know a bit about you and also about uh, your work at the Christian Courier. Um, I, but I have one more question that I always ask every guest that I'd love to to hear. Is there and it's it's something along these lines. Since we work with BC classes and we are here for churches, I always wonder with every guest, is there something that you'd like to gift or challenge? um the christian reformed church too or just church listeners in general a challenge or a gift you'd like to to give them based on your experience or your understanding of the church um from where you're coming from oh man um it's a big question mm -hmm. uh, doesn't have to be big though it could be anything yeah yeah well the first thing that comes to mind for me is just something i've noticed while living here in terrace there's a lot of um uh what's it called? Like interdenominational collaboration. There's like a terrorist ministerial here. So these like six or seven or eight churches from all different denominations get together at least three times a year to do worship services. And then like when our pastor has been away, like there's no CRC within a couple of hours, right? The next one is just over two hours away. So if our pastor is away, we can do a reading sermon, right? Those are always super fun. Um, I'm only saying that because I do them sometimes. Um, <laughs> and uh, But we've also been like having a Pentecostal preacher or the the E-free preacher will come and like, you know, do a double header, like preach here first and then go to their church. And it just to me modeled something really cool. The idea of like a local community, like a pretty rural remote community just saying like, we've got each other. Like we don't, we don't have it all figured out, but like, we know we can support each other. Um, and you know, it's, we, we'll just like avoid talking about some hot button issues when we're sharing the pulpit with each other or whatever, right. Whatever compromises have to be made in a healthy way. So yeah, I've just like really admired that just seeing, um, churches come together. Um, and I hope that can happen in more BC communities that, you know, turning away from some of the, you know, the big scary things that are happening uh, all over the world, like we still have to pay attention to those things. But like, you know, in the overwhelming moments, turning away from that for a bit and just looking locally and saying like, what resources do we have? Like, there's a lot of good going on. There's a lot of people who are equipped right here in our town. And like, how can we work together to make things feel more hopeful um, in a local context? So I like, and that's what I see One Life doing too, right? Like on a, on that slightly bigger platform of like, 
in BC? How do we think about equipping ministry in a way that makes sense in this region? Because I do think geography matters. I think it matters that, you know, we're living in places that are like pretty remote from each other and that we're used to travel and we spend a lot of time driving. And like, there's a whole bunch of things that make life unique here in BC. So I just think that more like contextualized, connected to our communities stuff. Um, yeah, gives me a lot of hope. I love that. I love the ecumenical um, point that you made too about interacting with people of different denominations, because that's something that I've been able to do here at the ministerial um, in Chilliwack. And it is an incredibly fruitful time. And you said avoid some hot button issues, which is true. Um, but then the other piece that I love about connecting with people of different denominations is how much solidarity there actually can be. Um, totally. Oh, your church is splitting over sexuality. Uh, so is ours. It, it's actually crazy how much more in common we have and how uh, much you can actually find this weird sort of solidarity with someone of a different denomination that you sometimes can't even find in your home context. Mm -hmm. So I, I just find that that's so, uh, yeah, fruitful for that too. So that you could even find um, connecting points as well. So that's really good advice. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, totally. It's uh, it's something that I've been just in awe of. Like I've definitely been in communities where it feels like the denominational boundaries are more rigid and like growing up with, you know, the the splits in the CRC in pretty recent memory, right? Like in the 90s, people were still talking about what happened. And it felt like, you know, the other reformed people in the classroom were these like enemies. And it's just so unnecessary, right? Like once you get out of that context, like none of those picky theological things mean anything to people in a secular university. So just like realizing that like, yeah, we do have more in common than we let ourselves believe sometimes. And uh, yeah, just being more collaborative. I love that. I love that because yeah. we have Christ in common, which is like, yeah. you know, um, yeah, man, this has been such a fun conversation. I, I loved, yeah, everything we got to talk about. I loved getting to know you. Yeah. I, is there anything else you want to share or, and it's fine if the answer is no. I, I just am curious if anything else is on your heart after what we talked about. Yeah, I I think we covered a lot of ground. Totally. Yeah. No, I've You didn't I've... make me like pick a side in any theological debate. So I'm <laughs> yeah. feeling like very uh, let off the hook. It's yeah. nice. <laughs> I know. I know. Wilma always sort of primes the pump there. And actually the last mm -hmm. episode we did, we went there. We went right into it. And it was really good. It's I... just it's messy stuff. That's what Wilma yeah. and I've been talking about. Yeah. 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 Uh, and like, I mean, I guess like you could put this on the record, just, you know, that like Christian Courier does talk about difficult issues. Like we do, we have published things on human sexuality and like we've published lots on spiritual abuse and bullying in churches. And like, yeah, we have something coming out in January on pastors bullying. So we can't shy away from those, those big issues, even though as journalists, it's totally draining. Um, and like living through the pandemic was the best example of that, you know, like living through a news story of like, you know, dealing with debates about vaccines and stuff. Um, yeah, you can't ignore it as a journalist. We can't just like publish fluff. We got to talk about the real issues. Um, and it does mean that we are like putting our own heart and soul out there on the line. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. And then you open yourself up to so much criticism and backlash and is Twitter still a thing or X like, or is that just done now? Cause that was a real minefield for a while, but now. Yeah. Yeah. So actually this is really important. So Christian Courier lost all of our Facebook and Instagram reach this summer with the bill C-18, like the Canada news act, the like, you know, there's no news on Canadian social media anymore. Um, but 
a lot of Christian publications kind of flew under the radar because the law is only technically supposed to apply to general news. Um, so like Broadview, Faith Today, um, there's some Mennonite publications. Those ones all still have their social media. Uh, but Christian Courier was unlucky that we got just like lumped in with all of the other news it's, sources. It's the newsprint, isn't it? I, it could be. Because you look Courier. like a newspaper? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, it could be that that like the bots caught onto that. And we're like honored that they are like, wow, this news company is a threat, right? <laughs> so we're like, thank you for thinking of us as news. But like a lot of what we're doing is like for a very specific interest group. And like, um, yeah, that wasn't the intention of the law. So we have no Facebook, no Instagram. And that's been very hard for our outreach. Um, and I've been trying to learn Twitter or X because that's the only one we can use right now. Uh, but it's not a fun place to be, like you said. Like it's not like the most life-giving social media platform. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, I've been using it a bit, but begrudgingly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad there's still one kind of avenue open so that there's that at least, but yeah, yeah that's tough. It is. And it's makes, it just makes it all the more important that people just like subscribe and print. It's like, okay, like we're back to the old school. Like people need to talk about us by word of mouth, bring an issue over to a neighbor and like, yeah. So there's something sort of like, I don't know, nostalgic about that. Um, so once we get over our like frustration at Meta for totally blocking us, um, we can see that there's there's like some hopeful ways we can like maneuver. I've been we've been sending out um, email newsletters more often. Like it was one weekly, and now we're doing biweekly, and actually made up for all of our lost website traffic. So it's a big testament to the people who are readers. They're like they're going to send us more. Okay, we better pay attention. Like we are going to read all the newsletters. That's <laughs> so fantastic. Very, yeah. So there's very loyal readers who have been helping us make up the difference. Good thinking on your toes too to improvise to a newsletter and. I have to say, I'm very captivated by that um, old school newsletter. I mean, that was the amazing thing about a journal. You can just start one and mm -hmm. then it can start to make waves. So there's such a mm -hmm. rich history in North America, especially, but probably in all over the world of newsletters changing things. And yeah, uh, yeah so that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, Megan, um, as I said, yeah, this has been this has been an awesome chance to to chat and connect i want to thank you so much for being on the show um mm -hmm. and sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and your experience and your love of of newsletters with us um yeah i hope uh, i hope you get a little bit more um attraction out of this podcast episode too i would love to send more people your way because it's a it's a really cool ministry that you guys do and uh yeah i just love talking about it yeah thanks eric it was really fun chatting all right take care yeah bye On the show today, you heard Megan Court, assistant editor for the Christian Courier magazine. It was such a joy to talk about all of these things that I love, journalism and art and history. I feel so grateful to have had this conversation, and I hope you liked it too. For all your other One Life needs, including events, links, and information, you can find them at crconelife.ca. And if you have any feedback at all, or want to get in touch, or if you know someone who would be a great guest for a future One Life podcast episode, please email me at podcast at crconelife.ca. Thanks for listening.